two of America's favorite pastimes, watching some baseball and drinking beers. Sam Adams sales are exploding and investors are pissed. What the fuck? There's some trouble brewing for some larger craft breweries. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer. We took the regular news, threw out all the depressing stuff, removed all the BS people get upset over, and then tossed away all the shit that makes nuclear Armageddon seem like a good idea. This is basically what you're left with. And you know what? I think we're better off that way. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmer. There is a few depressing stories when a brewery sells that we have to cover, so... I mean, but with, the, <laughs> but with our 2020 uh, brewery death, Deadpool... They, it we've makes kind, it better. We've kind of like put a, like a competitive spin on it, so I mean... And it's been a while since we've seen the sale. So, I mean, I mean, we're still, I know, I feel like because of that, both of us are looking at our list kind of going, I mean, I don't want Deschutes, for example, to sell out. But, but can I, you? <laughs> but, I, but I don't not want that. Anyway. <laughs> Deschutes definitely don't sell out, but it would help me in this competition. But definitely don't. But it would help me. Or buy someone. <laughs> Tyler, what are we drinking today? Up. Uh- so, I figured we had a cause for celebration today, because I leave for my bachelor party and may never come back, so... This could be the last time we see... You see hear, hear my voice. Um, so, yeah, if uh, uh, if Tyler doesn't make it back from his bachelor party, and you're interested in being a co-host, uh, let us know. And, send uh, your resume. <laughs> send a resume and an audition tape, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> if I do make it back, next, over, next week will we, be the hungover edition, we, so... We might need someone else to actually do the other end of this, because Tyler may be very, very much curled up into a fetal position in that chair, weeping silently to himself and... Vomiting. (laughs) Into the wicker basket I keep by the desk. Uh, But we are drinking the 2020 Parabola from Firestone Walker. Oh, this... Well, why do you keep on bringing the horrible shit? I know, right? I mean... what can you say about this other than it's nice, nice, rich, chocolatey, vanilla, bourbon notes? Mm-hmm. A little cold for my preference. Yeah, a little bit. but And I um, think once it warms up throughout the podcast, it'll get a little bit better. But still delicious. Well, speaking of which, uh, while we let it warm up, uh, Tyler, what's our first story? So the first article I got today is a little celebration of... Baseball kind of kicking back off. Uh, so, Major League Baseball, they started reporting to spring training. Boise State Baseball plays its first game in 40 years. Uh, we're going to get our ass kicked by Austin, Texas. But Wait, quick quick, quick uh, side note. Wait, the first time in 40 years. Yeah, so Boise State hasn't had a baseball team for a long time. This is their inaugural season. I had no idea that yeah. they didn't have a baseball team. And only 100 bucks for season tickets. Oh shit! I'd buy three of them. Yeah, I really. Uh, lo- I'd love to watch a beginning college baseball team. <laughs> uh, but like little league with so, uh with, with with dumber people. Yeah, drunker people. Uh, same one, same. This is an article from the Athletic by Eno Saris called "A Beer Nerd's Guide to Baseball: Ranking Every Stadium by Craft Beer Offerings." All right, and I was like, oh, what a fun way to kind of tie it over. Um. Uh, he talks about how uh, most people, when they go to a baseball game, love to have a beer in their hand. And more increasingly, ballparks are offering local craft beers instead of large national macro breweries. I mean, when I've been taken to watch baseball, it is basically an excuse for me to sit and drink beer and watch something I don't understand. Oh, perfect. 
So you would love this. <laughs> I, yeah, this is right. I mean, I'm more interested in the craft beer than what the, what the fuck's going on in the field. Yeah. It's mostly a bunch of men scratching themselves. Yeah. So what they did was, because um, they bring up that nearly five times as much craft beer is being sold today as was being sold 15 years ago. I'm like, that's not hard. It's probably a little bit more than that. Right. But, uh, and talk about how some parks are industry leaders uh, doing co-branded beers with local breweries. Uh, and different things like that, really pushing it. And then other parks are way behind. So they decided to break everything down. I was about to suggest that I like try to try to guess what the top like three... I'll have you try to guess the top but, couple. But here's, but here's the problem. I'm not exactly sure where there are stadiums, 100%. I'll, I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> this, is not yeah. a, this is not a test of my knowledge of craft beer. This is a test of my knowledge of baseball, and so, it is shitty. They enlisted... Uh, <laughs> The help of nearly 100 fans, writers, and uh, sports writers um, to go down. They gave them the breakdown uh, that they had a 0 to 10 rankings in three component numbers. The top end beer, so 0 to 10, what the top end beer was. Okay. They had to rank uh, the average available beer and craft beer accessibility. Okay. Um, and they kind of broke that down because the better the top end beer is the more likely, the better the average beer will have and more accessibility. Um, so, let's see if you can guess one of the top three. Okay. Um, the one hint I will give you, West Coast. Okay, well, I mean, I'm going to go with, the, with uh, uh, Seattle because it's craft beer centric and it's the one i know of the top of my head that is correct <laughs> Woo! all right eat it uh would to you like to try per- to guess to the person who was saying i couldn't do it which was me <laughs> <laughs> would you like to guess the second one yeah um i don't know if i know another baseball stadium to be if i'm being bracingly honest um is there one in california there's two in california um i pick what for in the top three, there's two in California. Oh, in the top three, there's two in California. So, wait, how many stadiums are there in California total? One, two, oh, three, Jesus Christ. four. Okay, so I pick two of those four. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, I'm going to... Alright, the Angels? I'm no. Okay. Um, so, number two is Petco Park in San Diego, the home of the San Diego Padres. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> uh, and number three is Oracle Park in San Francisco, home of the San Francisco Giants. Okay. Uh, so there was two perfect scores in here. T-Mobile Park in Seattle, the home of the Mariners, had a perfect 10 on nice. everything. Um, they have um, a $6 can deal every year. This was one thing I did give a knock on this article. They're like... There's a $6 can deal every year, and one year it was a hazy IPA from Georgetown Brewing called Bodie's Offa. Oh, for fuck's sakes. And I'm like, God damn it. Uh, for the record, Bodie's Offa is not a hazy. Yes. It's a it's a lovely uh, uh, IPA, but it is not a, not a hazy. And they have a ton of Pacific Northwest taps in there, uh, ranging from like Fremont, Georgetown, uh, Ecliptic, Inkasi, Freem. Uh, Rubens Brew, Bale Breaker, um, 
So pretty solid selection. Yeah. Uh, they said basically every food vendor has a craft, at least one craft handle. Um, and there are cans in all the aisles. Nice. Um, and then... I want to go to there. They also have a stand behind home plate in section 129 that boasts hard to find cask conditioned and barrel aged and specialty beers on a rotating basis. I'm not, I've never gotten really kind of excited about a baseball stadium, but I am a little bit now. Uh-huh. According to this article, it said the list of rare beer releases at the stand last year was enough to excite even the most hardcore beer geeks, as the Washington Beer Blog put it. Wow. So I'm like, so, oh, I mean, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of in. I want to go to, I'll go watch baseball. I can't believe those words came out of my mouth. <laughs> but I was like, that's awesome. And then San Diego, uh, if any of you are sports fans, you could probably remember the girl in the at the Padres game catching the baseball in her beer, chugging it, and then every like twenty year old male was like, I want to marry that woman. Catching a baseball in her beer. So it was a home run. She oh. catches it in her cup of beer, chugs it around the baseball. Yeah. Like so, I'm trying. I'm trying to visual. I'm trying so to visualize. So cup. Okay. Beer. Beer lands in. She and then chugs oh. the beer with the baseball still in the cup. Oh. Then takes the baseball out, holds it up, and she was pretty good looking too. <laughs> and she <laughs> chugged it fast. And every and and that was it. Every a but every beer geek and that was watching that had to excuse themselves. Oh yeah, but uh, so I mean, makes sense. Just like Seattle, San Diego has a ton of craft breweries. Yeah. Uh, they have breweries like Alesmith, Pizza Port in there, Mike Hesper and Coronado Brewing, Alpine Beer Company. Um, Alesmith makes a specialty beer for the ballpark called. The .394 Pale Ale, named for Tony Gwynn's batting average uh, in the faded <laughs> 1994 season. And with this here, uh, the only knock they really had was that while the city's beer scene has continued to grow and innovate, it's the park hasn't quite kept up with it. Right. Because, I mean, it's baseball. You can't get too funky. Well, I mean, I feel like there's still something else more important in that situation than the beer. Yeah, true. Um, Apparently there's a game happening. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming, I don't know how good the Padres are, but I'm going to go ahead and guess they kind of suck. Yeah, they're kind of terrible. Yeah. They're they're mediocre. I, just uh, had, I had this indication. I don't know why. But, <clears throat> so following that, yeah, they had great beer, great selection, easy act accessibility uh they just didn't have quite the innovation seattle has so put them at number two uh oracle park the home of the giants uh, they talk about you can get local beer easily in most sections of the park even if you don't want to drop 15 to 20 dollars for a can of the special ones they Jesus brought in right i was like holy fuck <clears throat> uh so this one they ranked the top beer at 10 average beer nine accessibility nine okay so not quite a perfect score um, they have Deschutes Fresh Squeezed, uh, Anchor Seams here in Nevada, and Lagunitas sections provide a high replacement level if you don't want to go for the high-end expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, they have local brewing company, Auburn's Moonraker Brewing, Oakland's Temskal, Santa Rosa Russian River nice. in the stadium. So you can get Pliny the Elder Pours, uh, Blind Pig in there. Nice. So, it's they've got a nice selection and some high end stuff. Um, 
Let's get down to some of the bottom three. All right. I mean, this is where we go up to the beer stand. You go, what kind of beer do you got? We got we got both kinds, Coors and Coors Light. Yeah. Just to put it in perspective, Miller Park, the home of the Milwaukee Brewers, <laughs> made it to number 10. That's sad and alarming. And there's 30-some MLB teams, so it is... When you see a part name for a giant brewery that high, and you're trying to now picture what's going to be at the bottom end. Uh, this one is for Aaron. Uh, your Washington Nationals made it to number 16. <laughs> uh, with a top beer of 7, average beer 6, accessibility 6. Yeah, uh, Bush Stadium, the home of the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, was 17. Okay. Again, named after a giant brewery. Well, I mean, I guess it sort of makes sense because, you know, giant breweries are not known for their being friendly to craft beer. Now, are they? No. Uh, <laughs> number 28. Okay. Uh, the third worst uh, beer offering. Would you like to take a just shot in the dark? Okay. Where Where is the worst place uh, in the world, just generally, but especially for beer? I'm going to take a, say, Florida. There's one in Tampa, right? Uh, there is, but... You are incorrect. Okay. It is Yankee Stadium in New York City. <laughs> Shit, really? <laughs> Top beer of a four, average beer four, accessibility two. Do better, New York. Uh, the article says you'll find some Bronx, Bronx Brewing Beer and Blue Point. Their toasted lager is around. And Blue Point is, is, log, is local. And, let's, and that's it. Let's, put, let's face it. Blue Point is basically Anheuser-Busch's uh, uh, attempt to unseat Sam Adams. So that, that can go fuck itself. Yeah. Uh, that's Liza Minnelli shit right there. <laughs> it goes, it's as if someone who knows nothing about local craft beer picked a brewery that was named after the borough the Yankees find themselves in, <laughs> added another craft brewery that was owned by the conglomerate providing the rest of the beer in the stadium, Wiped their hands and congratulated themselves on a job well done. <laughs> or, and maybe this is more likely, nobody there cares. More, yeah, definitely. Uh, and it goes, which is weird because craft beer lovers drop serious coin on craft beer. Um, I mean, I guess I didn't need a reason to hate the Yankees, but there's one for me. Good. Yep. Uh, next one up, the Rogers Center in Toronto, the home of the Toronto Blue Jays. Seriously, fucking Canada? Yep. Top beer of three, average beer three, accessibility three. Uh, because I could list the beers, but I'm not trying to shame anyone. Let's just say there's not really any local craft beer in this park. It's sad, too. Uh, Canada, apologize. I know you do reflexively, but just apologize. I mean, and they bring up that there is a great craft beer scene in Ontario, uh, but they just didn't bring into any of it into the park and then the worst one or maybe not is wait worst or maybe not you'll you'll see all right it goes na the global life field in arlington texas top beer incomplete average beer incomplete accessibility incomplete they don't allow beer i think they do it's texas for god's sakes i yeah, but Texas is weird. I mean, they there there's like a competing thing where they you've got you've got I want to get drunk and fire guns, but I don't think anybody should be should be able to do that. So it says, let's hope they do something fun in Arlington. We'll see you on here next year. 
Or is it just not completed? I was going to say, they may just not have got to it. Okay, so let's just say the worst one right now is Canada. Canada, and if that is the case, they didn't get to Texas. Uh, your third, Yankees get bumped to second. L.A. Dodgers are number <laughs> I love three. that California has the best and the worst. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, they, at the L.A. Dodgers Stadium, they do a frozen herein. What, frozen, frozen Kieran? Yep. You that it? Okay. Well, uh, I mean, I'm. I think that might that might be our podcast uh, picture this week. But that it looks like. Yeah, I'm not sure how to describe that other than. Um, that's it looks a, like an ice cream that is the beer is settled out. I was of. gonna say, it, yeah, it looks like it, it looks like a, a a beer float in a Kieran cup. So, yeah. So Jeremy, what do we got up next? And that's how hard Seltzer killed Sam Adams news now. <clears throat> this comes from a couple of articles, actually, uh, from Justin Kendall and Jessica Infante at Brewbound. Um, Sam Adams, in 2019, uh, had a total sales of $1.25 billion, um, and a pretty staggering 25.5% growth last year, which a company of their size and, uh, and where they are just as a company is fucking staggering their their stock pretty much doubled over last year so if you were smart enough to do to invest in sam adams uh you might potentially be happy up until this last week um it's a pretty amazing turnaround for a brand that is been more or less stagnant for the last few years leading up to 2009 and i mean we we all know what why what what changed last year to give them a huge boost truly (laughs) I mean, actually, there are several reasons for this. The um, the merger, and I'm doing air quotes right now with uh, Dogfish Head, um, helped bring helped bring a lot of uh, uh, craft beer people back into that company. Um, Angry Orchard Rosé actually yeah. has helped uh, uh, has helped uh, um, the the cider division of uh, Boston Beer Company maintain their numbers. Twisted Tea experienced a lot of growth. Not sure why. <laughs> people are digging <laughs> flavored malt beverages. Um, but yes, the story is about Truly. Um, Sam Adams was uh, uniquely placed to be a close second place to White Claw, um, and they were one of the—I mean, they were one of the two um, original, um, one of the two original players in the hard seltzer market. Um, and so, when you know, with the seltzer craze of last year, yeah, they got a huge boost from that. Um, but here's the downside: they're still way behind. <clears throat> I mean, they're way behind, but I mean, you're talking about that they're second place in a in a market that is what three years old, four or five, right? But, and but I mean, and really, then, it's the growth has been in three years because I think I saw a stat in like 2016, both Sam Ad, or both Truly and White Claw's total sales for the year were 27 million, right? And White Claw did that in the first week of this year. I mean, White Claw is the uh, the uh, uh, king of if you can be a king of flavored seltzer shit, but but yeah, being second place is not a terrible thing, and it's done well for them. But there is a downside: the huge increase in production has forced Sam Adams to do well, to produce a lot of their product um, on contract. Um, and we've talked about contract brewing, the uh, the upsides and the downsides. But the big downside here is it put a pretty massive dent in their gross profit margin. And so despite, and I want to stress this again, over 25% growth for one of the largest beer producers in the country, um, 
the its investors just dropped the shiny gold deuce in their pinstripe pantaloons. Um, but here's my thing. I mean, I'm, I was kind of looking at a couple through a couple of articles. Um, it is actually my it's my assessment that contract brewing for them, especially for Truly, is gonna be one of the things that might help them like. It help it will help them be strategic when navigating who knows what's gonna happen this next year. Yeah. Because not only I mean, first of all, is I think all I think it's a pretty safe bet that we're gonna see another summer of seltzer. But it's not gonna be it's we're probably gonna hit a new it's probably gonna get bigger than it was in twenty nineteen. In so dry January this yeah. year a lot of the beer industry took a dip. Yeah. White Claw and Truly saw their numbers grow. Right. So they're dry January proof. So come 4th of July, every white girl's going to be blacked out on that. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. I don't think there's a whole lot of risk to it just stagnating. But let's face it. there are The the share of the market is now being split. Uh, Bud Light Lime or Bud Light Lime. Bud Light Seltzer. Natty Light Seltzer, Bon and Viv. Yeah. Which even with all three of those, Bud Light is still behind Truly. Not by much anymore, but... But that's the thing. Um, Bud Light Seltzer came out for ostensibly this month. Yes. And they have 10% of the market. I mean, just like that. They walked in and took 10% of the market. Um, And so... And they are putting a lot of just brute force behind it. And let's face it, Anheuser-Busch has a lot of just money and... Distribution. Right. They got the shelf placements right off the bat. I mean, that's, that's the thing is that they... They see the market. They want in. It doesn't really even matter if they have a good product or not. I'm guessing not because, you know, it's Bud Light and it's shit. Um, They are just going to just force the door open and say, we're here now. We're taking this. But they don't need a good product. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they don't. I was going to say, we had talked about this one day and I, I wish I could find that conversation on Twitter that I was referencing. This guy sat down, tried all the major hard seltzers, really. Before Bud Light Seltzer kind of came out, and they're like, they don't need to make a good product. No one's trying to make a delicious hard seltzer. Right. Because they're just trying to make a mediocre one and keep it in line with all the competitors, and then basically use their economies of scale to bully everyone else out of their their distribution network, uh, their aggressive pricing strategies, and their relations with chain accounts. And if we've said anything consistently on this podcast, is that AB InBev is the best bully. So yeah, um, and so I mean that, and so when you look at it that way, yeah, there's probably going to be growth, but there are more players, and so you're looking. What we're looking at is a strangely volatile market for uh, any for anything alcoholic, and so the ability for Sam Adams to basically, you know, if if, if their numbers aren't what they were last year. To just basically shrug and say, well, I guess we don't need the, you know, we didn't invest in the extra production and thank yeah. God. They can just, I don't know what their contracts are like, but they gives, it gives a lot of flexibility to just kind of shrug and go, okay, brew something else in there or do something else in there or just end the contract. Yeah. It gives them, basically, yeah, they can. They, they're not saddled with all that debt. Exactly, which, as we've said time and time again, is where breweries are getting into trouble. In fact, that's why they have Dogfish Head, I'm pretty sure. If I had to <clears> guess. I mean, there's not, there's no really good explanation. No one came out and said it, but 
throughout last year, that seemed to be the story is that breweries kind of found themselves saddled with debt and with that and competing for a greater market share and failing at it and having to sell. And I'm, I'd put good money on the idea that that's what happened to Dogfish Head. Um, so the fact that Sam Adams isn't falling into that trap and they can and they can contract brew this this thing that's doing well for them and it's still making money. I mean, the contract brewing is expensive, mm-hmm. but profitable still. But still profitable. I mean, that's how Sam Adams got to this point. They contract brewed for the longest fucking time. Yeah, and that's the other thing. They're good at it. Um, they they know they know this. how to work the contract. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, I, I kind of looked at that and said, that's not a bad thing, to, uh, it, from my estimation. Um, and especially when it comes to the future of the seltzer craze, here's my question for you, Tyler. How long is this going to last? I don't think it's ever going away. I oh. think it's kind of like Hazy IPA. I don't think we're going to have everyone scrambling to do, to push hard seltzers out into grocery stores. I think in another three years or so, it'll start to level off. Uh, it'll get back to a little bit of seasonality. You'll have your three main players, your White Claw Truly, Bud Light Seltzer. I think Bud Light will axe Bon and Viv. Uh, yeah. They may keep the Natty Light Seltzer, just a bank on the college kid Natty Light name. Uh, and then they'll keep those, and then you'll have... Kind of the breweries doing their own little lines uh, just for like tap room or to get into regional bottle shops or regional grocery stores and not do that big push would be my guess. Um, I think it's going to happen before that, but I mean, I, yeah, it's a pretty good assessment. Um, you're right. I don't think it's going away. I I think over, I mean, I think long term it will be sort of a fad. There will you'll kind of look back and say, "Do you remember that summer like twenty years ago when everybody lost their shit and was drinking alcoholic seltzer water?" Yeah. Thank you know, thank when, you. when White Claw in just IRI growth through October of last year had done over seven hundred million dollars. So that doesn't count any bars. That's only chain grocery stores. Right. So any bars, sporting venues, uh, mom and pop shops bottle shops anything like that and cnn had put out something that said uh that they did 1.5 billion dollars last year just white claw it's hard to see i can see where you kind of get it at the end of october they had 700 million but that's basically doubling if you include all the on-prem stuff Mm -hmm. so i'm like eh let's call it a billion that's still a fucking massive number because what truly do last year like three hundred million? Um, it, did, it didn't give it any numbers because I was kind of looking at what exactly Truly's numbers were specifically um, in relation to the rest of them. It didn't really give um, either article in Brewbound didn't really give you didn't give me a good indication other than oh, you know, and there was one that I saw. Uh, Please stand by while Tyler looks up some information. Do, do, do. I'm glad we don't do this live. This <laughs> part would suck uh, if we we're no. waiting on you. This... I, I can't find it. Okay. So. And Google has failed us. <laughs> I want to say it was like 300 million. But... I mean, I'm sure it could find But anyway, I mean, the, the, it didn't give it, but it's pretty clear that Truly uh, uh, was leading this. But um, the, other, the other thing that was interesting in this is that 
Um, so part of this actually comes from their trying to, uh, uh, Boston Beer Company, revitalizing their interest in their Boston Lager. Um, their goal, especially for 2020, is to make it more, I'm going to quote here, make it more appealing to the 30-something with their Toast Someone campaign. Um, I'm not familiar with this. Tyler, you've seen this one yet? I haven't seen this campaign. Uh, I did see the Sam 76 commercial all throughout college football season. Yeah. Where they're like, I can taste my beer. I can taste my beer. <laughs> and it's just like fans taking a drink of Sam 76, like they're kind of locale lager almost. Right. Uh, super sessionable. Um, and they're like, oh, I can taste my beer. And so they're telling everyone. And the one part of the commercial I can remember is a guy like comes into his wife's bedroom and like leans in as she's sleeping and goes Bam, i can taste my beer i do that all the time but yeah they're, they're they're making a big push to try to bring people i don't know for me boston lager seems to fall into an interesting no man's land because i think it is if you're if you're not into craft beer and you're into domestics it's just not your jam it's got too much flavor it's too it's got too much color it's yeah it's just not and i think that's why sam 76 has actually done fairly well for them exactly and but if you're but if you're into craft beer i mean at this point in time sam adams lager is like okay yeah had it it's okay what else so but if ever do go to like a applebee's or something you know you're going to find it on tap there. It is It is something you're going to find on tap literally anywhere, and it is okay. Or if you're in a random airport and you see that and that's the best craft offering that's sitting there. I mean, to be fair, if it's the best craft offering, that means it's the only craft op- offering. Well, maybe yeah. that and Blue Moon. I'll take craft. that. Craft. I'll take that. Yeah. I'll take Sam Adams' Boston Lager over a Blue Moon. Yes. Suck it, Miller Coors. Um, or a Shock Top. <laughs> oh yeah suck it sorry Bill Cores. I apologize suck it AB and Bev that felt better alright Tyler what's next uh, so little downer news right now I told you at the beginning of this podcast we're not doing depressing news <laughs> we threw that away uh, so Melvin Brewing out of Wyoming is closing down their San Diego brew pub and what happened with that <laughs> uh, so they opened a brew pub back in November of 2018. Man, that didn't. That did not last. I was going to say. November, I'd say that lasted barely a year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is an article by the West Coaster. Um, and they talk about how they opened a brew pub in downtown San Diego's East Village area. Um, fit with basically anything Melvin, you would think. Kung Fu movies, Steel Motive. Uh, they have a thing. Yeah. Um, they talked about how. Uh, they are closing this brew pub effective immediately. Uh, from the get-go, they were kind of outpaced. The East Village outpost faced unique challenges such as the staff readied the venue for its debut. And then right as Melvin was coming off a public relations disaster with one of their uh, founders having the sexual harassment issue up in Washington... And that hurt their Bellingham pub that they had up there. I mean, effectively ended their Bellingham pub. Yes. If I if I remember correctly, they were going they were going to open one there, and then uh, the that incident happened, and pretty much pretty much the people of Seattle said no. Yeah. Uh, Get out. Yep. So they opened this on the corner of 14th and Market Streets, uh, and then with that, 
Uh, they also saw a boom in that neighborhood with Duckfoot Brewing, Little Miss Brewing, and Amplified Ale Works opened within a year right in that same neighborhood as them. I mean, and that doesn't, that's not surprising. We've done it, we've talked about it before um, that San Diego is just absolutely, I mean, it's just, even now it's still, the, the amount of breweries is just exploding. And so it's a strange choice to, uh, of a, I mean, on one hand it sort of makes sense. You go, let's open a brew pub in one of the biggest beer cities in the country. Where shall we go? San Diego has got to be near the top of that list. But, but I feel like you missed the point if you do that. It's so competitive there. It's so competitive. The yeah. retail space costs are just astronomical. I mean, there's a reason every fucking Southern Californian is moving to the state of fucking Idaho. Because yeah. they can sell their house and then pay cash for, pay off their loan, pay cash for a house, and beat market price. Right. So it's, and then still have some money to fuck around with. So it, it makes sense. Uh, I, I was always confused. I understood why Melvin was adding all these random brew pubs, but I was kind of confused why they went to San Diego. Seemed like a stretch. And I feel San Diego's always been kind of, no, San Diego beer's the best beer. And yeah, well, I mean, fuck t- you. Yeah, t- Ten Barrels run into that too. I mean, I think they they still have a presence there, but uh, uh, Ten Barrel famously opened, I think, in the same area. Yeah. Um, and they've got or somewhere lot... in San Diego. Yeah. But I want to feel. I mean, but I feel like it's in the same area, or at least Market Street sounds familiar. Um, but they tried to open up. They well, they did. They opened up a, a a tap room, and I think it's still there. And I'm, I think it's doing okay. But they got a lot of local backlash, which was basically "fuck you, ABM Bev." We've got uh, our yeah, local during brewers. one of their beer fest, someone flew a fucking banner that said like "AB sucks." Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, and to that, and you know what? Not all heroes wear capes. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, in the article, they talked uh, such a rapid increase in competitive ventures. Coupled with a slow baseball season and other factors, made it difficult for them to maintain uh, profitability in the business uh, and to wait out till the kind of boom really takes place where more people are coming to that area because it's in the developmental stages. Um, and I mean, that area apparently is home to numerous bars, so you're looking at even more competition for Melvin. Right. And so, I mean, yeah, I, I guess bottom line is I don't think this is really is surprising to either of us, nor should it, nor should have been to anybody at Melvin. You kind of... No, but I I saw this and I was like, oh, shit, Melvin's closing the tap room. I was like, I forgot they even had that one. <laughs> I was going to say, there's the other thing. I mean, you're kind of walking down, you're like, huh. I, I mean, Melvin's great. I love their beer, but it seems... Un, uh, it's seemed yeah. unnecessary. It de- definitely seemed... Well... I mean, a lot of what Melvin does seems unnecessary. I love you guys. You're over the top. <laughs> which which makes you you. I know. So. No, don't, don't stop being you. Don't stop it, but you're over the top. But don't stop. Except for this tap room. You stop that. Oh, they cut the losses. <laughs> and in other news, let's... Uh, I think we both wanted to briefly talk, touch on this. Um, Speaking of cutting losses... <laughs> Lagunitas, uh, their CEO is out. She uh, uh, she left, and uh, and uh, someone else is taking over. Um, Which one quick thing? Uh, so when Lagunitas sold to Heineken, 
the founder Tony McGee or can't remember his last name. Sure, let's go with that. Um, said, you know, we'll always have a craft person at the helm of kind of the Lagunitas division for craft, and we're going to keep it craft. And now the person they had had in there is leaving, and now they're bringing someone from Heineken, like Canada, down to fill her role. And I'm like, and you said you'd die on payroll before you'd ever sell out the brewery too, but uh, you're on a hot streak of fucking up. Look, he gets so much weed right now. I don't think he gives a fuck. No, he's got a he's got fuck you money right now. So. Um, but you're right. So um, Maria Strip uh, is uh, is being replaced by Dennis Peak. Um, uh, and basically, I mean, the, I kind of looked around and, uh, the best article I found, and actually I didn't find it, um, a friend of the show, Cody, actually sent this to me last night. Thank, Thank you, Cody. Cody. Um, this is from the, uh, Press Democrat, um, uh, by Bill Swindle. Um, the, the, the crux of it is basically, she, she's kind of had an interesting career, uh, prior to, uh, uh, Lagunitas, um, she was actually, she was actually the executive at Activision. Um, a video game oh, damn. Uh, maker. Um, she joined Lagunitas and became their CEO right before the Heineken merger, and in fact was um, instrumental in like um, in in finishing that deal. And then she uh, and she's actually you know helped uh, brought some brought some of her uh, ideas to the brand to help them move past just their flagship IPA. Um, she was she helped. Uh, um, she apparently is instrumental in the daytime IPA, which we've talked about. I mean, locale IPA is going to be a thing. And that was kind of, that was, she had something to do with that. Um, but it sounds like she is uh, leaving kind of because her assessment is that craft beer is kind of leveling out. Um, Lagunitas is, is kind of where it's going to be. And she's going to where the action is. Fair enough. I don't blame her there on that. Uh, I do find it kind of funny that... So, in January, they cut uh, a little less than 5% of its workforce as part of a restructuring plan. uh, Which came about 16 months after they slashed 12% of its workforce uh, by letting go about 100 employees. Um, The Brewbound article on this did also talk about how uh, off-premise dollar sales for Lagunitas were up 0.7%. They increased dollar sales 3.8% in um, out, multi-outlet and convenience retailers. So, I mean, yeah. They're growing a little, but yet they're fighting to get the minuscule percents. But let's, I mean, but that's, I mean, I think the fact that they're still growing, you know, is testament to Lagunitas' brand, as weird as it is. Um that they can still eke out a little bit of growth in what is otherwise a, a, a yeah a growing market, but one that's incre- increasingly uh, uh, fragmented. Yeah, but um, but yeah, so it's well, it's interesting to see what uh, uh, this dude Peak will bring to the party, if anything. As you said, he's not really a craft beer guy. I, there's I haven't found a whole lot of. Uh, um, the article on Brewbound that I saw said he's unavailable for comment right now, and he. Was- I'm sure he is. I mean, all all, all it says is all, the only thing the Press Democrat article says is that he led Heineken Canada since 2016. Yep. And his first running day, uh, first day running Lagunitas is Friday. So, uh, good luck, Peak. Um, Have fun, buddy. Enjoy all the free weed.
<laughs> All right. Firestone Walker or fucking geniuses news now. Um, I found an interesting spotlight on Vi- fitting that we're drinking Firestone Walker. I know too. it, it, it kind of. I like how it worked out that way. When you brought that, I'm like, huh. The fates love us. <laughs> um, this is our, this article was on Vine Pair last week by uh, Kat uh, Kat Walensky. Um, it, she points out that Firestone the the Firestone 805 is almost single handedly responsible for the brewery's current growth, and the reason. And the reason for that is a combination of brilliant marketing and strategic separation uh, between the 805 and their craft brands. Um, some background information. Um, 805 is a pretty simple blonde ale. It's light. It's crisp. It's incredibly drinkable. It's basically Firestone's domestic. Um, and they did it because when AB Bev bought Goose Island, they started... Filing the trademarks yeah, for different area oh, codes, and oh fi- yeah, I forgot every, about that. People went on a mad scramble to keep their own area code, and so they Firestone Walker filed for eight hundred five to pass the Robles area code, and then we're like, "Fuck, w- we need to protect this. Let's get a beer out." And they're like, "What's something nice, easy drinking that we can just fucking push out?" And did it. I'm, I'm if I'm not mistaken, that's why Grand Teton has a two hundred eight. I think Grand Teton had that before Did Goose they? Island sold. So I mean, well, so, I mean, yeah. So this was way back. I want to say this was 2015, 20. No, this was pre. Because they had the three ten urban wheat. So I mean, so uh, I. And then well, I didn't uh, know. I didn't know we we're gonna get on this, get off on this tangent, but we're here now. So all right, here's what happened. Um, Goose it, Island had three ten urban wheat. It was right after uh, uh, AB and Bev bought Goose Island, right? And then AB bought them, and AB started filing for. Tr- because Goose Island had had that before. Right. Uh, and AB started filing for different other area codes in the surrounding area. So, and people panicked when they saw that. The, 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 what, the, what the general consensus was in the craft beer community at the time was that, and I don't know if, I've, if anybody from AB InBev ever confirmed or denied what they were trying to do, but the idea was they were buying out the yeah the copyrights to area codes around the country. For beer names. For beer names. And that what they're going to do is re- basically repackage Goose Island's... Um, 310 uh, three, Urban yeah, Wheat. 310 Urban Wheat and sell it um, throughout the country under their area code as a quote-unquote craft beer. Yes. And yeah, that... Quickly fell through, um, and I. It was a weird thing because I remember when I first saw it. Basically, how it came out is like it. It was a. It was a leaked document from somewhere mm-hmm. that basically someone said, "Why is a?" Or it was like an investor or something going, "Why is AB InBev doing this?" And people panicked, and yeah, Firestone Walker came out with. Uh, and and AB did try doing a couple beers under like different area codes, and they just fucking flopped. Uh, Which, if you read that book that I still haven't brought you, uh, Barrel Aging Souts and Selling Out, <laughs> it talks about the whole growth of three one zero wheat, and then uh, how AB tried doing that different places, bought it up like Firestone Walker, and uh, how AB's flopped. But I know this is going to tie into what you're about to get to, so I'm going to bring it up. Okay. Um, if you ever noticed, so Goose Island tap handles are always that goose head. Right. Except for the 310. Right. It's a phone. Yep. For, so when they originally released it, everyone's like, what the fuck is 310? Like, w- what do these numbers mean? And so they did a phone, so it would people would be like, oh, that's the area code. Oh, this is a absolutely Chicago and beer. It's, it's a Chicago beer. Yeah. yeah and, it was. <laughs> uh, and also, it 
kind of almost subconsciously tricked bar managers so they'd normally have like two permanent handles and if you tried to get a new beer in they'd take one of the old beers because it's same handle mm-hmm. didn't have to get any more handles but by making this a different handle the people would be like oh well it doesn't look like we have three goose islands on our 12 tap handles looks like we have two goose islands like we always do and then this other phone which yeah this other local one yeah and so it kind of separates it from itself and this was all still before goose island had sold and so they found a way to get an extra handle in by kind of separating it and marking it marketing it completely different than when how they did every other beer right um which yeah we're gonna about to get into that i mean well let's let's get into it i mean um that is kind of what the article touched on it, but I one of my one of the, my assessments is that's that's one of um, the eight hundred fives. Like uh, the, the the most interesting thing is that it is the fact that the eight hundred five isn't marketed with Firestone Walker. I mean the the, the name Firestone Walker is on the can, mm-hmm. but the the and la- you'll see it in like a corner of a billboard on it, right? But, but I mean it, it is almost marketed as its own entity. I know. Uh, um, I know in town they have uh, here in town they have basically um, two Firestone reps. One um, she does you know Firestone Walker, and then a, another guy does just eight hundred five. That is his entire portfolio. Oh, damn, I didn't realize. Um, or at least at one point in time they were hiring somebody for that. Um, okay, I know because I was like looking into that, going, could I be an eight hundred five rep? So, I mean, I know at least at one point in time they hired somebody, and I don't know if that's still a thing. But, I mean, the point is is that they're making a, an effort to to even have, like, the separate reps for just that brand. Oh, yeah. And if you've ever seen, like, the billboards or, like, Facebook ads for it, it's, like, people out surfing. And then it's all normally in black and white. Yep. Uh, and then drinking an 805 can or people on, like, a motorcycle going down the freeway. And then it kicks to, like, the 805 can. It, they're and I know you hate hearing this. They're trying to do like a lifestyle brand. You know, I've actually read the article and I'm like, oh my god, that's what. The, and I'm like, shit. So am I wrong? Is a lifestyle brand a thing? Does it work? Hundred um, <laughs> percent. I mean, it doesn't work on me. Tell me why a lifestyle brand works then? Because people want to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. Look at Scientology. Um. Shit. Okay. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> So what you're saying is that 805 is the Scientology of Firestone Walker. No, that's Big Wave. Okay. <laughs> it's the Scientology of craft beer. <laughs> okay. I could have... I'm pretty... You know what? If anyone's a Scientology of craft beer, I'd almost say that's Melvin. They have a... <laughs> they have a bizarre cult following. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Enough of this tangent. Um, anywho. Um, um, we... Uh, yeah. There's another thing that uh, is about this, this that's interesting. The packaging, um, specifically, they are um, how they're packaging 805. Besides 12 ounce cans, they specifically packaged 24 ounce cans for convenience stores. Oh, genius! And yeah, and this is this is where that. I mean, previously I thought, why are you marketing this beer separately? But the idea is that they are not. Firestone Walker isn't marketing 805 with their brands because they're going after a separate market. They don't want 805 to be lumped in with their Union Jack, their Double Jack, their Pivo pills. Pivo, yeah. I mean, they they sort of realize that if you're lo- that the people looking for 
you know, their brand of, you know, nice, refreshing, you know, barley-based alcohol product don't really care or rat's ass about Firestone Walker. They just want something easy drinking. So they're actually attacking the domestic market with this. And part of that is, yeah, um, they want they want to produce a product that people walk out with a with a you know a thirty rack of out of Walmart or you know a twenty four ounce can out of and in the convenience store and head out to the beach right and so uh, um, that was what their big push is is this packaging which I mean it's a weird thing to think about like how you put your beer into a package. How much that matters, but it really does. Oh, 100%. Different stores are going to want different things. Right. And there, and the idea that, yeah, this this push into the, you know, a push into the convenience store market sounds strange. But actually, when you put it alongside their, their like, lifestyle brand, you know, grab, a, grab a, a big old can of this and go to the beach. Yeah, sort of kind of makes sense. Um, but... Um, and there it has a the, the the can itself has a simplicity about it. Um, it again doesn't look like anything like Firestone Walker, and it all seems to be working. I mean, look at the numbers. The beer, the, the weird thing about this article is that th- they kept on asserting that the beer was like available in three states. Yeah, that was my one knock on this article because I read it last night too, and it was it's like it's available in like California, Nevada, and like. Arizona, and I'm like, we've had it in Idaho for almost four years now. Used to be true. Used to be true. I think that the 805 was... For the longest time, it didn't leave the 805 area. But, I mean, it's now... I mean, I think around... Except in mixed 12 packs of 12-ounce bottles. I mean, I think think the, the, the thing is, is that, yeah, it was restricted until someone at Firestone Walker said, we should use this to try to capture the domestic market and then just spread it out. And so I think... You know they they basically move this into their footprint around the same time, so they they the the, the article seems to think that it's not available anywhere, but it, but it still doesn't have a national footprint. No, it's basically but... West Coast. Um, but anyway, so it's a it's a it's it's a it's available at a handful of states on the West Coast coast. Yet it's the ninth best selling beer in. In America, according to a Brewbound article, uh, that's quoting a, a IRI, IRI research data, which means it's beating out several nationally distributed brands. Yeah. Um, sales for uh, 805 alone grew 12.7% for a total of $60.4 million in sales. Um, and it attributes that alone to Firestone hitting the 20th best-selling brewery in the United States. So, I mean, I, the answer is they're doing something right. And they're doing it, but I mean the the thing that oh, the thing that really made me kind of like wonder is I was listening to an interview with um, the I can't the name is escaping me right this second, but I mean we've talked about him before. He basically helped found small creatures in in uh, Australia. Oh, and he and he helped develop the bridge Bridgeport IPA. Yeah. Um, but I was listening to an interview with him, and he was basically like saying, "If you're gonna do craft, do craft, because there's, uh, you know, because you're, I mean, you're, it, it, do, you know, go after the people you want to go after. If you want to do domestic, that's already kind of been done, and it's being handled by the biggest cor- corporations. But if you're gonna do craft, do craft. This seems to be, uh, you know, an example of, 
you that that logic being wrong that you can actually make a dent in that market and do well you just have to almost make that a separate division yes because i feel if you're trying to use whatever brand equity you have as a craft brewery to get into that it's not gonna work and that's it. Well, it's interesting too because you, 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 Firestone Walker, I don't think, loses any of their craft credibility. I mean, yeah. first of all, I mean their IPAs are still world class. We we're drinking one of their barrel aged uh, uh, things. Their barrel aged program is legendary. But also, craft loggers are a very fast growing category too. Yes, we've so, which, which we discuss. So um, it's not going to hurt you, but to get, have it be successful, you have to market it different. Yeah, I mean, you got it because, let's face it, people who like craft beer are different from people who just want a fucking beer. Yeah. Who knew? Shocker. <laughs> All right, Tyler, anything to add today? Uh, fun little facts on good beer hunting. If it weren't for hard seltzers, canned micheladas would be the fastest growing beer category in the country. Shut your whore mouth. No, it's a cool <laughs> article on uh, Good Beer Hunting's Twitter. I found it hilarious because the brewery I work for, we do a Michelada bar on Sundays, and it's taken off Sundays or one of our busiest days now because of it. And, like, Modelo's canned Michelada uh, is just blowing up at such a fast rate that other, like, Corona's starting to hop into it, Takate. So check out the article. It's an interesting read. I just didn't know if we had enough to cover on a full episode here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, why do you say something like that for the end? Because now I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Michelada? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sort of makes sense because of the changing demographics of the United States. And, you, 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 I mean, if I take a minute to think about it. I'm like, okay, that sort of makes sense. But there's a story here. I'm not sure. Yeah, and they talked in the article how they originally did it in 24-ounce cans to target the Latino market and then how they're starting to move to different packages size to hit other parts of other beer drinkers, really. All right. Well, there. Take that little tidbit and uh, go about your day. Anyway, this has been It's All Beer. Um, As always, uh, you can see the stories we use for this podcast on our Twitter feed. Uh, we've got some shit posted up on Instagram and our Facebook page. Uh, go check that out uh, uh, where you can... Uh, and also uh, get links to the podcast and as always we love uh, uh, any stories you want to send us uh, and, and anything else you can send our way we are at itsallbeer at gmail.com um, and also I'll, please uh, if, you, if you have the chance uh, leave us a review um, you can uh, go on to your podcast app of choice iTunes or Facebook put five stars uh, and let us know what you think uh, because you know Tyler is desperately seeking your approval. I mean, just just look I at it. I thrive on it. He, every pretty much every day, he like looks at uh, looks at the feed and cries because he doesn't know if look. That's why he's going off to New Orleans to find himself. So if you want <laughs> if you want Tyler to come back, I guess that's what I'm saying. I mean, <laughs> and that's still very much up in the air whether we are ever going to see Tyler again. I don't know who. What are what are the chances? I, we put a put a percentage on it. Oh, 40% I don't make it back. Alright, well there you go. <laughs> um, so, this has been Tyler's last episode of It's All Beer. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. Um, go make a michelada and have, have fun. fun in New Orleans. I will. <laughs> and so, and they are...
Damn it, Tyler. 